Well, welcome to the Hills. Preacher Rick here. Uh, greeting all of you that watch online in person at North Richmond Hills, Keller, and West Fort Worth. And a special shout out to our core team in Dallas that's starting to meet on Sundays together as you prepare for the launch of our next campus next spring. So know that we're praying often for you. We're in a series called It's a Must. We're looking at the actual words of Jesus where he spoke about which things are non-negotiable if we are going to follow him. Because here's the reality. Any great cause or movement or organization or team has got to be on the same page about what the non-negotiables are. I love telling the story about these two men. John Wooden, who I think was the greatest basketball coach in college history and one of the greatest players in college history, a guy named Bill Walton. Two very different people. Wooden grew up in the Midwest, a conservative Christian. Uh, Walton was anything but. He grew up uh, on the West Coast. He admitted he was a flower child, a hippie. And so they were very different people. And uh, you would imagine there might be a clash coming. And it was over this that Wooden had a rule on his team, no facial hair. Now, you could like it or not like it, but that was his rule. He was the coach. So there's a 10-day break from school, and Bill Walton comes back sporting a full beard. And Coach Wooden comes up and says, Bill, have you forgotten something? And Bill said, Coach, if you mean my beard, I think it is my right to grow a beard if I want to. And Coach said, Bill, do you really believe that? And Bill said, I really do. And John Wooden said, well, Bill, I respect a man who stands up for what he believes, and I would die for your right to do what you think is right. He said, thank you, Coach. And then Coach Wooden said, and Bill, the team is really going to miss you. Now, Bill Walton tells that story about his coach with affection. How for four years he was mentored by a man that was consistent and had non-negotiables and was honest about what they were. In the same way, if you're going to join Jesus' team, you have to abide by Jesus' rules. If you pick Jesus to be your Lord, you don't get to pick which of his demands you are going to accept. You see, Jesus did not run a cafeteria. And he's put out on this cafeteria a wide variety of hints and suggestions and options and assess at possibilities. And you just pick whatever you want on your tray. No, Jesus issues must. And there is one must that identifies who is on team Jesus more than any other. And that's where we're going to go today. So you could be finding John chapter 13 in your Bible. We'll be there in a moment, but let me give you the backstory. Jesus knows that his death is imminent. He's about to be betrayed and crucified. And so he wants to have one last meal with his disciples, a Passover meal. And so at the last second, he secures a room for them to have this dinner together. Now, in that time, it was the custom when you showed up for a dinner, there would be a servant there to wash your feet for two good reasons. One is because they were uh, dirty roads and your feet got dirty. But second, despite the pictures you've seen, they didn't sit in chairs at tables for meals. They lay on the floor on their side, which meant that somebody's feet were going to be next to your face. So you wanted them to be clean. But as I said, this was a last second dinner. So when they showed up, there was no servant there to wash everyone's 
feet. And there was no disciple there ready to be a servant. And so it says at the start of that chapter, Jesus, knowing who he was, knowing where he was about to go, knowing that all authority had been given to him. In other words, what he knew was if anyone in that room should have had their feet washed first, it should have been him. Instead, he took off his outer garment and put a towel around his waist, and he started to wash the feet of his disciples. And they were, uh, needless to say, uh, quite disturbed by this, so much so that Peter said, no, you can't wash my feet. I'm not worthy to have you wash my feet. But Jesus insisted so that everyone lay down around that table with clean feet. And here's what happened next. John 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, you need to understand, every disciple in that room was willing to wash Jesus' feet. And when he said, since I'm your Lord and teacher, if I have washed your feet, then you, they thought he was going to say, should wash my feet. No problem. We'll do that, Jesus. But that's not what he said. He said, since I'm your Lord and teacher, and I have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, that's the problem. It was then, it is now. It's not washing Jesus' feet. It's washing each other's feet. I wash Jesus' feet in a heartbeat. It's your old stinky feet I don't want to mess with. But Jesus goes way past the golden rule. Do unto others as I would have, as you would have them do unto you. He goes to the platinum rule. Do unto others as I have done unto you. And then even more amazing, Jesus gives unbelievers the right to judge his disciples on this basis. And so we get to verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, perhaps you've noticed by whether he's talking about forgiving or whether he's talking about serving, so many of Jesus must assume you are living in community. That there is no life with Jesus apart from life with others. Now, I know it's popular to say, well, I'm just tired of the church and I'm put out with church people and I'm through with all that, but I love Jesus. Well, the problem is you can't love Jesus and hate his team. He said that, that if you're going to be on Jesus' team, you love your teammates. And this is where it gets messy, because as I've already alluded, some of my teammates have really smelly feet. But when you choose Jesus, you choose his team, stinky feet and all. And what you do get to choose it's who on the team you will love and who on the team you won't love. That what Jesus taught 
is that love is an ought, not a maybe. It's always right to love. It is always wrong not to love. And by the way, this is not a graduate course in discipleship. This is the very first course you take your freshman year when you enroll in the school of following Jesus. Look at 1 John 3 with me. This is the teaching you have heard from the beginning. We must love each other. When you first named Jesus as Lord, when you first came up out of the waters of baptism, when you first surrendered your life to Christ, the first thing you should have been taught is you're on team Jesus now and you have to love your teammates. And not only is this the first thing we are supposed to learn, it's the first thing unbelievers will discern when they try to decide who the followers of Jesus are. You must love one another. By this, all the world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Apparently, our rabbi thinks love must be much more than most people think it is. So we're going to go a little deeper. Because when Jesus says, you must love, it comes with some implications. And here's the first. That love must be more than a feeling. This is so crucial because love gets defined in so many ways, but particularly in our culture, listen to the music, listen to the narrative told in the movies. Love is typically defined as a feeling. It is a sentiment. It is a mood. It is an emotional response. You're just walking along and you stumble and you fall into a pit of love and you have fallen in love. And the problem with that is that you can just as easily fall out of love. But Jesus said, you must love. Which means, it must be more than a feeling because you can't command a feeling. I can't tell you that you have to feel anyway. But I can command a choice. I can command a response. And Jesus is commanding a response that exalts being willing over having a feeling. That love is what you will more than what you feel. And by the way, it's important to remember that is exactly what led Jesus to the cross. Right after he leaves this dinner... He's going to go out to a garden to pray because he knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows what's about to happen. And he is raw and he is honest before God. And he says, Father, I'm not feeling it. Is there any other way? But then he said, but I will do whatever you will. That's what Jesus is commanding. That you will do what love asks you to do, whether you feel like it or not. You say, Pastor, that's being hypocritical. No. Hypocrisy 
is when I pretend to be somebody I have no interest in becoming. Hypocrisy is when I put a show on for you to make you think I'm somebody I don't really want to be. But when I decide that I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to trust Jesus and I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do even when I don't feel like it, that's not hypocrisy. That's loyalty. That's fidelity. That is surrendering to my rabbi because I trust him. And that means then for us as followers of Jesus, love is a verb. He did not say, so you must feel what I feel. He said, you must do what I did. So uh, Haddon Robinson, a well-known theologian and author, says when he was a young minister, it was the practice of his denomination to get all the pastors in the city together to give ordination exams for a candidate entering ministry. So he's at one of these exams, and they're asking your standard questions. What's your view on the deity of Jesus, on the atonement, on the return of Christ? He said, toward the end, one pastor asked a question. Do you love people? And Robinson said, now, I've been told there are no such thing as stupid questions, but that might be the closest you could get. Do you love people? What do you think he's going to say? No, I don't love people. I want to be a minister for the money. But Robinson said later, no, I realized it wasn't a stupid question when I heard the second question. The pastor asked, do you love people? The young man said, yes. And the pastor said, how do you know? How do you know that you really love people? It's more than a feeling. Again, 1 John 3, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. See, there are many freedoms that you can lose if you follow Jesus. We have brothers and sisters around the world today who've lost many freedoms because of their faith in Jesus. But there's one freedom you can never lose. And that is the right to decide that you're going to love you can always choose to love. I like how it reads in Colossians 3. Regardless of what else you put on, wear love. You get to decide how you're going to dress. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. And by the way, remember, Jesus gave non-Christians the right to judge how we dress. Are we wearing love for each other? And the truth is, it's easiest to see when it's hardest to do. Because here's another big implication about Jesus' command. Love must stretch more when it's hard. Jesus did not say, you must love each other unless their feet are really smelly. He is commanding because he knows love can be demanding. I like telling the story of the couple. They're in their 80s. They've been married over 60 years. They're in bed together. She's not comfortable with the distance between them. She says, I remember when we first married, you used to hold my hand in bed. So after a hesitation and pause, he finds her hand and holds it. She said, but I remember when we first married, you used to cuddle next to me in bed. There was a longer pause. There were some audible groans and moans. But he shifted his body over to be next to her in bed. 
She said, I remember when we first married, you used to nibble on my ear. He threw the sheets back and got out of bed. Her feelings are hurt. Where are you going? He said, to get my teeth. <laughs> okay, here's the point. Are you going to do life with other people? Well, community, it's messy. You know why? Because everybody's feet stink some of the time. And some people's feet stink all the time. But when Jesus says, you must love one another, he doesn't give exceptions. And he doesn't give exemptions. Love must stretch more when it is hard. So let me ask you, who stretches your love muscle? I'm talking about church, not just out in the world, but in the body of Christ, who stretches your love muscle? Is it the person at church whose political convictions don't line up with yours? When you find that out, do you love that person? Is it the person that worships at church in a way that makes you uncomfortable? Do you still love them? Is it the person at church covered up with tattoos? Is it the person who doesn't have any tattoos? Do you love them? I'll be honest, for me, it's Philadelphia Eagle fans. <laughs> now, I have instructed security. If someone walks up with a Philadelphia Eagle jersey at the door, you are not to let them in. But what if they have a coat on, and you don't know until you get into the assembly, and they take the coat off, and there's that ugly old Philadelphia Eagle jersey. What am I going to do? I'm going to stretch. Because Jesus said, you must love one another. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke 6. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. It's not hard to love people whose feet are clean. Anybody can do that. But one reason unbelievers notice the way Jesus wants his disciples to love is because it outstretches the kind of love they're used to. You see, most people are used to love with qualifiers. They're not used to even if love. They only know if love. I will love you if. We live in a culture that will cancel you in a second if you don't meet the qualifiers for being worthy of being loved. But Christians show that we're becoming like Jesus in the way that we love people who are not like us. Oh my, what I just said, I'll say it again. You show that you are becoming like Jesus in the way you love people that are not like you. And actually, you know, it's liberating. It's liberating to have the burden of who am I supposed to love taken off my shoulders. It's already been decided. Jesus has decided for me. Remember this. Jesus washed Judas' feet. Let your mind wrap around that. The man that's going to betray him an hour later walked out of that room with clean feet. Do you think Jesus ever regretted that? 
Do you think he wished he had a do-over? You think Jesus thought, oh, what a waste of water and soap it was washing that guy's feet? No. It is never a waste to love, even if the person you're loving never changes or responds to it. Because when you love the person you can see, you are loving the God you cannot see. So Jesus, when he is washing Judah's feet, he is offering love to God. And that is never a waste. But to love like God is going to require help from God. Look at this prayer Paul prayed that we should pray more for each other. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Notice, the Lord has to do this. The Lord has to work in your life to make you love better. And that's the third big implication. Love must need more than mere willpower. Love is always a choice, and it's often going to be a challenge. And, I'm, and let me tell you what's sad. Listen close. This is sad. So many Christians never practice loving beyond what a person without the Holy Spirit could do. When Jesus says, you must love, he wasn't commanding us to do what comes naturally. He is expecting us to do what comes supernaturally. But Jesus doesn't expect us to do the impossible. If Jesus expects it, Jesus empowers it. Look with me at Romans 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, how's God going to pour out love? Is God going to measure love? Is God going to hold back? God can't do that. God is love. So when God pours out love into your heart, he's going to do it extravagantly. So extravagantly, it's going to flow over and splash on other people. So, I wrestled all week with whether I should tell you the story I'm about to tell you. And I finally decided I should, knowing there is potential for it to be misunderstood. When I was a very young preacher, there was a man in my church I did not like. He had the gift of correction. It didn't matter what I said, what I thought, or what I taught. He wanted to correct it. And he did all the time. And I got to where I only tolerated this man. If I saw him coming down the hall, I would walk the other way just not to have to deal with him. So one time I'm praying. And I felt the Lord impress upon me. All you can see in him is what you don't like. But why don't you look for what's good in him that I can see? And so I began to reflect. He loves the Bible. Reads it all the time. He loves his wife. And she has special needs, and he is a faithful caregiver. He loves poor people. And he lives simply so that he can have more to help people in need. And the more I began to reflect, the more I found my heart changing. Where I wasn't just tolerating this guy, I was beginning to appreciate this guy. 
and to look forward to seeing him. I can generally say I began to like this guy. I think he noticed the change. To the point that when his wife died, he asked me to do her service. And then when he died, the family asked me to do his funeral. And I was honored to do it. Now, here's the thing. He didn't change. God changed me. And my fear is I tell you that story and what you're going to hear is look at Pastor Bragg on himself. Oh, no, I'm not trying to exalt myself. I'm trying to exalt God. I'm trying to say to you that in the power of the Holy Spirit, God can give us hearts that love beyond what we can do in the flesh and to go places we didn't know we could go. That when we are added to the body of Christ, there's going to be people in the church that's Uh, encourage us and people in the church that inspire us there's going to be people in the church that stretch us we need that I need in the church people whose feet don't always smell good because it's one way to notice that the Holy Spirit is taking over the church but it's also the way the world notices if we're following Jesus. Now, all the things that Jesus said are must are important. Everyone's non-negotiable. But Jesus knew there was something about this one that was different. That love must witness more than anything else. He says, by this, everyone's going to know that you are my disciples. Now, Jesus is not dismissing the importance of doctrinal fidelity or personal holiness In fact, Jesus said, you got to be careful of wolves in the flock. Inside the body of Christ, we have the right to ask other questions of people to make sure they're on team Jesus. If you deny the identity of Jesus, if you deny his sufficiency, if you deny that he's the way to get right with God, then I don't care if you have a jersey. You're not on the team. If you live a life of sin and, and, and a life of anger and bitterness and racism and abuse and sexual immorality, you're not on the team. But here's what Jesus knows. While we can recognize those things, people that don't follow Jesus don't recognize doctrinal or moral purity. They have no basis for understanding what that is. Let me tell you what they do recognize. They know when you wash somebody's stinky feet when they see it. And so Jesus says, If you want to impact the world for me, and you try to leverage anything without love, you've lost your leverage. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, I don't care if you can sing like an angel, know the Bible backward and forward, and give everything you own away, anything minus love equals Nothing. Look at verse 3 from the message. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. The way we love one another gives witness that Jesus is a Savior like no other. All the must are important. But this is the one must that identifies who's on Team Jesus more 
than any other. You must love one another. No exceptions. No exemptions. I don't care what their feet smell like. You must love each other. But it's not the first thing we must do. Look at this with, verse with me and see if you can figure out what the first thing we must do is. You're God's children whom he loves. So try to be like him. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us. So there's a well-known Christian author named Philip Yancey. He wrote a very uh, best-selling book called Disappointment with God. He was in the process of working on that book, wrestling with all his thoughts. He's at O'Hare Airport. His flight's delayed. He's got a five-hour layover with a woman going to the same conference. So he just starts spilling out. These are the thoughts I've been thinking. And for two hours, he just gushed out all the reasons he'd been disappointed with God. Legitimate reasons, unanswered prayers, doubts, hurt from church people. And then she asked him a question that rocked his world, but he's glad she asked before he finished that book. She said, Philip, do you ever just let God love you? It's pretty important, I think. You must love each other. But it's not the first thing you must do. The first thing you must do is let Jesus love you. And we struggle with this. Just like the disciples, Jesus, don't wash my feet. I'm not worthy. My feet smell too bad. Oh, I, I know in my head Jesus loves me, but in my heart, he would love me more if. He would love me more if I didn't drink so much or cuss so much or get so angry with my family. He would love me more if I had never gotten a divorce or an abortion. He would love me more if I didn't struggle with, and you fill in the blank. Or if I just did more of, and fill in the blank. Here's what you got to know. Jesus didn't wash their feet because of who they were. He did it because of who he is. It's his nature. Not yours. And what that means is your feet are never going to smell so bad that Jesus isn't willing to wash them. There's a verse that appears several times in the Gospel of John. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Have you ever put your name in that verse? Have you ever thought, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved? loves because you're going to always experience love droughts with other people until you let yourself be drenched in Jesus love for you so let me ask you do you ever just let God love you 
We're going to try to do that right now. Bow your heads with me for a moment. I'm going to give you about 45 seconds of just quiet with the Lord. And I want you just to pray this prayer. Lord, help me to receive your love for me at a level deeper than I ever have before.